Amen. Well, we are in uh, Joshua chapter 21, and as you are opening your Bibles to Joshua chapter 21, I did want to just uh, share this with you. This is definitely an interesting chapter, and the reason why I say it is interesting is because Joshua is going to reveal certain things to us about the Lord. He's going to reveal four things to us about the Lord, and I know that many times we seem to forget about this. We seem to forget about these things, and we only forget about them only because this isn't something that we normally put our, our, our thoughts into. I mean, it's not something that we always talk about unless they come to us through the Word of God, unless they come to us and, and are in our face as, as we're going to see that today. We're going to see how the Lord is speaking through Joshua for us, to show, to show us really what, who God is and what God has done for us. And the four things that we're going to talk about, God, is really two of them are going to be his attributes, who he is, his nature. And then two of the other things that we're going to talk about are really just the things that he's done for us. And we're going to see this as we go through Joshua. In reality, we know that as children of God, we can expect these things. And, and God wants us to know these things about him. And so when we go through Joshua 21, I want you to know one thing, that we're going to go through, through most of it, and then at the end of the, of the chapter, there's going to be three verses there. And in these three verses is really where we get the, to know God and to, to uh, really know what God is going to do for us. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. When we think about God, right, when we think about where we're at here today, I mean, I think... Every single one of us come because we want to know God deeper, don't we? I think we're here only because we want to learn about Him. You know, what could we be doing on a Thursday versus being here at church? You know, think about what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, and to block out an evening on Thursday, we do this because we want to know more about Him, right? We're here to learn about Him. You know, Sundays, I, I remember uh, before you came to the Lord, before you surrendered yourself to the Lord. When would you ever think that you would be here on a Thursday, on a weekday? You know, you always knew that church was for Sundays, right? But yet to think that we would do this in mid midweek. I mean, it just goes to show us that, you know what, we're here to learn about Him. We're here to, to hear from Him. We're here to know more about Him. I want to share what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, as we read this verse, right, His word is clear that He has called us to know Him better and to know Him personally. This is what He's called us to do, right? This is what First Peter, this is what Peter is reminding us here in 2 Peter. I apologize. In 2 Peter, this is exactly what the Lord is reminding us. You know what? To grow in His grace, to grow in His knowledge. You know, before we get into chapter 21, I do want to just give you some background when it comes to, to this chapter that we're going to be headed into, that we're going to be reading about. You know, when we look at the previous chapters, right, that we've been going over, we've been going over the allotment. The allotment of the land, right? The land that is going to the 12 tribes. And every single one, one of them had a lot to pull in. And they were actually just given different portions of land there in Israel, right? In the land of Canaan, in the promised land. 
And as we were going through this, we saw that each tribe received their portion. The problem was, was that Levi, Levi really, or the, uh, or the son of Joshua, which was Levi, what we know about him is that this was a priestly tribe. And the priestly tribe was not going to receive an inheritance. And as, as we look at this, right, as we look at, at who the Levites are and, and who they are, we know that for one thing is that God never promised them land, right? He said that you are my inheritance. He says that, you know what, that, you're, that I'm your inheritance, right, that God is their inheritance. And as we look at what this means, right, it means that they were going to serve God and God was going to be in their very presence. And because of that, because of the fact that God was their inheritance, they weren't going to receive a portion of land. And so we know that the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were actually the two that, that, that received the land instead of Joseph. He had received a double blessing. And we think about Levi, right? Levi wasn't receiving one. So we had those two tribes that repla one replaced Levi and the other one replaced Joseph. But from the onset, we know that, that God said, you know what? Because I'm your inheritance, that I'm not going to give you a portion of land. And what I'm going to give you really is just cities to dwell in, okay? This is, this is what's happening here. He said this to them in Numbers 35, verses 1 through 3. He says, I'm going to give you cities to dwell in and land for your animals and livestock. And this is what he says here, Numbers 35, 1 through 3. He says, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in. And their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. So we see here, right? We see the fact that, first of all, the 12 tribes received the allotment. And we also see the fact that God is telling the tribe of Levi that they weren't going to receive this, but they would receive only cities, right, to dwell in. This wouldn't be, this wouldn't be their land. And we also, as we read last week, who remembers what we spoke on last week? The cities of refuge, right? And I gave you really six points on the Lord being our refuge, right? As we talked about this, right, we know that 12 tribes received their land. The, the, the cities of refuge were assigned. And so now we have the tribe of Levi saying, hey, you know what? What about us? Right? God had made a promise to us way back through Moses that we would receive our cities to dwell in. And so what we're having now is we're having the Levites saying, hey, you know what? Don't forget about us, right? We have these cities that God has promises for us to dwell in and for our lands and for our, our animals to, to dwell in, right? For the land. And as we look at this, right, the Levites thought that they were forgotten. They themselves thought, you know what? We've been forgotten. How many of us have ever felt this way, right? Had, that we've been overlooked, that we've been slighted. I think many times, you know what, when it comes to our families, we think, well, you know what, if you're the middle child, if you're the, 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 you know, the third child or the fourth child, whatever, you feel like sometimes you've been overlooked or you've been forgotten. At our jobs, I think sometimes we experience this too, right, that you see somebody else getting a promotion and you think to yourself, hey, you know what, what about me, right? What happened to me? 
And this can also happen in the church, right? As, as we begin, you know, as the ministry begins and you see some people being raised up and you think to yourself, you know what, I've been overlooked. This is what the Levites felt for themselves. They felt, you know what, I'm being overlooked. But I want you to know one thing about God is that God never forgets you. God doesn't forget us, right? Even though man may overlook you, but God doesn't. And God will bring you your due reward. God will raise you up, even though you feel like at times that you've been overlooked or that you've been slighted. So this is where we're at. This is what's happening here as far as in chapter 21. We're going to talk about these cities of Levites, and then we're going to talk about really God. We're going to talk about the Lord, and we're going to see that who he is, and we're going to see what he gives his people. So with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to read here in chapter 21. And again, there's so many names of, uh, of cities and that are not very easy to pronounce. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. What I'm going to do is just battle it at, at one, uh, just one time versus various times and just uh, go through it that way. So let's begin to read here in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says here, Then the heads of the fathers... Houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. So we see here the, the fathers' houses of the Levites. Okay, they come to Eleazar the priest. Remember, Eleazar was a high priest. And the only ones that could be the high priest were, remember, from the line of Aaron. So in reality, the Levites, think of it this way, right? We always think, well, you know what? How can, uh, sometimes we even, as I was mentioning just a few seconds ago, right, how people overlook you, how you're overlooked at your job, in your families, how you're overlooked maybe in the ministry. Even here, Eliezer, who's a high priest, even overlooks his own cities, right? Because we actually have here the Levites coming to Eliezer and saying, hey, you forgot about our cities. The cities that God promised us for us to dwell in, for our cattle and our herd and for them to have their land to graze and to, and, and, and to multiply. So as we see here, even Eleazar forgot, right? But they come to him, and let's read what verse 2 says. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. So we have here everything that I spoke of, right? I, I sort of gave you here a summary of what chap of verse 2 and verse 3 was. The fact that the Levites are going to, they're coming to, to Joshua and Eleazar and saying, hey, you know what, we deserve are these, I mean, we, we, we should receive our, our cities and our lands. This is what God has promised us. And we know that as they're reminded of this, right, no one wants to disobey the commandments of God. So they say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to pull lots, and we're going to pull the lots from the tribes, right, from the 12 tribes. And when we pull the lots from the 12 tribes, you're going to be assigned cities from these 12 tribes. And so you're also going to have the land for your animals that they could dwell in. So let's look at the first, the first lots that are pulled, and it's here in verse 4. It says, now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron, the priests who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. So what we have here, right, is 
is really first the priestly line of Aaron, okay? Aaron is the first one to receive the lot, okay? His is the first one to receive his cities to dwell in, okay? And the cities that he was going to dwell in, the three that are given here are Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. And when we look at the map, Mike, if you could put up the map up there, I want you to see really where, I want you to see, I have a good picture as to where these cities are or where these tribes are. And as Mike is looking for that, I will share this with you, that they are really where Jerusalem is. And remember, this is the Aaronic or the priestly line, the high, the high priest from the line of Aaron. So what you see there, you see Judah, you see Simeon, and you see Benjamin. And that's really where what Jerusalem is, is right, right in between Benjamin and Judah. So you see what, what God is doing here. God already knows, right? He already knows where the, lot is gonna, where the lots are going to land. He already knows where he's going to put and station the cities for the high priest. When we think about Aaron, right, think about this. Aaron was supposed to be, Aaron is a high priest, right? And at that time they had tabernacles, but one day in the future there would be a temple there. And the high priest would be from the line of Aaron, from the family of Aaron. I want to talk about this because it's something that we tend to forget or something that maybe you may not know or, or this is coming to you for the very first time. Aaron was Moses' brother, okay? And Aaron was the first high priest. And Aaron actually came from the Kohathite family. Okay, and you may be wondering, who, is, who are these Kohathites? The Levites. Remember, we're talking about all the Levites, right? We're talking about the son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and one of those sons was Levi. Okay? And I don't want to confuse everyone here, but I want to make sure that you, get, you, you sort of get this or, or that you understand it. That way you can sort of walk away with a better understanding of these Levites. Levi had three sons. And the three sons that he had, he had Gershon, that was one. He had Kohath, that was two. And he had Merari, Merari, okay? That was his third son. So he had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, okay? And Aaron was a grandson of Kohath, okay? So that's where you have Aaron coming from. The Kohath, Kohathite, Kohathites. And so as you think about this, right, Aaron is, was the first high priest, and God said everyone from the line of Aaron would be a high priest. Remember, there were regular priests, and then there were high priests. And the high priests were the ones that went actually into the Holy of Holies, right? They had certain responsibilities, right? And, and, the, and they would dress themselves up, right? They were distinguished from the regular priests. They had greater responsibility when they came to the temple of God, to the tabernacle of God. And they had these amazing, beautiful outfits, right, to distinguish them as the high priest. And so as the high priest, right, they can only come from the line of Aaron. The rest of the Kohathites. Kohathites, okay, and the rest of the Gershonites and the rest of the Merariites, they can be priests, but they could not be high priests. Okay, so what God is saying, okay, Levi has three sons, and each of those sons 
right, and their families, they're going to be assigned various cities to dwell in. Okay, so God was going to give them cities to dwell in. Remember, not to own because they belonged to the other 12 tribes, to the other 12 sons. All they were to do was to live in them. And they were also given enough land for their animals. Okay? So what we have is, is, is here Aaron is pulling his, right? And as he gets the lots, he gets them there from, uh, from Simeon, from Judah, and from Benjamin. And this is where the temple would one day be built. And this is why we have here Aaron receiving that, those cities to dwell in. Okay? So as we keep going, let's keep reading here in verse in verse 5, it says, The rest of the children of Kohath had ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. So you had the other Kohathites, right? Not those from Aaron, but the other Kohathites, they received ten cities. They were from the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Let's read in verse 6. It goes on to say, and the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. So the children of Gershon, remember this was the other son of Levi, he actually, they actually received 13, city, uh, 13 cities, and theirs were from the tribes of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, and the tribe of Naphtali, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, okay? So Ephraim, Dan, and the half-tribe, I'm sorry, I'm mixing them up, from Issachar, Asher, and the tribe of Naphtali, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 7 goes on to say, the children of Merari, according to, the fa to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. Okay, so what we have here is the children of Merari had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun. Okay, so we went through these names and these cities. Okay, so now we go into verse 8. And in verse 8 it says, And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common land, by law to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So we see everybody there is obeying them. Everybody is willing to give them cities. Even though they own the land, these 12 tribes are allowing them to live in these cities and to have land around the cities. When we count up how many there were here, it added up to 48 cities. Okay? So the priests, the Levites, received 48 cities in total. And then they also had six cities of refuge. Remember, they were in charge of the cities of refuge. So in total, they really had, what, 54, 54 uh, cities as well as, I'm sorry, 54 cities that were assigned to them. Okay? So what we're going to do is now read in the next 33 verses. We're just going to go straight through them. And what we're going to do is we're just going to read them because all it is is really cities that were given to them. Cities, uh, the 13, the, you know, and all of the, all the 48 cities that were given to them, they name them by name. So let's go ahead and just read that. And then we're going to spend the remainder of our time in the last three verses. So verse 9 says, So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities which are designed 
designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave them Kirjash Arba. Arba was a father of Anak, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephune, as his possession. We remember Caleb, right? Caleb was one of the, the, the 12 uh, spies that originally went into the, uh, into the land of Canaan. And both him and Joshua said, you know what? We can take this land because God is on our side. So verse 13 goes on to say, Thus to the children of Aaron and the priests, they gave Hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Libna with its common land, Jader with its common land, Estermoa with its common land, Holon with its common land, Deber with its common land, Ain with its common land, Judah, Jute with its common land, and Beth Shemesh with its common land. Nine cities from these two tribes, and from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, Anathoth with its common land, and Almon with its common land, four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities with their common lands. Okay, so now let's go to the families of the children of Kohath in verse 20. The Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, even they had cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. From the, from, for they gave them Shechem, with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer, Gezer with its common land, Gibzaim with its common land, and Beth Horon with its common land. Four cities, and from the tribe of Dan, Altike with its common land, Gibethon with its common land, Aijalon with its common land, and Geth Rimon with its common land. Four cities. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanak with its common land, and Geth Rimon with its common land. Two cities, all the ten cities with their common lands, were, the, were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. So now we go to the next son, the children of Gershon, verse 27. Of the families of Levites, from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. And B. Easterah with its common land, two cities, and from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its common land, Debarath with its common land, Jarmuth with its common land, and Enganim with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its common land, Abdon with its common land, Halkath with its common land. And Rehob with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its common land. And a city of refuge for the slayer. Hamoth Dor with its common land. And Cardin with its common land. Three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their common land. So Merari is the last one in verse 34 says, And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its common land, Kartah with its common land, Dime 
Na with its common land, and Nehalal with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Beser with its common land, Jahaz with its common land, Kedermoth with its common land, and Mephoth with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth in Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Mahan Naim with its common land, Hishbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot, 12 cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common land. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all these cities. So you have here 48 cities, okay? And you're all wondering, man, this is, you know what? Why is this so important? Well, you know what? We have here a history. We have here a history of really, you know what, these lands that were given to, this, uh, to the Levites. And we also have here the cities of refuge that were given to them. Remember, the cities of refuge, for those that weren't here last week, was really a place where, where somebody had accidentally killed somebody where they can go to, where they can, you know what, escape to, right, where they can be protected, where they could be sheltered. And what would happen there is once the high priest died, then they were able to leave and they would have a new beginning. So as we looked at this, right, as we talked about this last week, we have here really just everything is being fulfilled now. Everything is being given now to the, uh, the Levites as well uh, uh, when it comes to their cities and their cities of refuge. And so now what, God, what Joshua is going to do to us in the next three verses is really remind us of who God is, to know who He is and really to remind us of what he has done. Before we get into the last three verses, I want you to know one thing, that as we hear about God, understand this, as you and I hear about God, what's so amazing about this, as we hear who he is, did you know that our faith grows? As we read about God, as we talk about God, did you know that our faith in God grows? This is why God has given us, or this is why through Paul, God explain this to us right in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 where he says then faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God see when we read God's word because God's word is alive one thing that we receive is we learn about him we we learn we our knowledge of God increases and so we begin to grow right we begin to our faith begins to grow because of who he is it's like a child, right? A child that is learning and, and, and studying. He begins to grow in certain areas, right? He begins to grow in certain subjects because he's reading and he's learning. And the same is with us, right? We're all children in this manner, right? As we read the Word of God, you and I grow in our faith. This is why reading the Word of God is so important. This is why, you know what, we're always encouraging you to establish a devotional time. On a daily basis. I'm going to share this with you. If you want to have a fire and a passion for God, there's certain things that, that are important when it comes to our relationship with Him. It's to be praying daily. It's to be reading the Word of God daily. It's to be coming to church, fellowshipping, right? And these things are very essential, right? These are the basics in having a passion for Christ. See, when we begin to to set aside time for Christ, right, through our devotional time, 
reading the Word of God. This means that we're going to grow in faith, right? We're going to grow in Him. This is why it's so encouraged. And many times we say, well, you know what? Sometimes we don't understand it, right? Or sometimes we feel discouraged because we're saying, you know what? We don't get it. We don't understand it. You know, before you read the Word of God, pray and ask the Lord. You know what, Lord? It's hard. I'm not understanding this. Open my eyes. Open my heart so that I can see, so that I can understand the things that you're saying. And the Lord will meet you where you're at. Reading the Word of God is essential for our growth. If we want to grow in our faith, this is essential. Look at what Paul also said. Well, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, so I'm going to say it again. As Paul wrote through Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says there, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So we're reminded here of the fact that we are all called to what? Read the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God, we are now called to be teachers, right? See, in other words, what Paul is saying, you know what? You shouldn't need me to have you teach you the principles of God. You know what? Partaking of the, of the milk, right? You should be eating the meat. You should be feeding yourself. And this is what the exhortation that we have for all of us. That you and I are called to be teachers of the Word of God, right? That's how, how do we become teachers? By studying the Word of God, right? By reading it on a daily basis. By just asking the Lord, open my heart, my eyes to receive all that you have. Because the Word of God is filled with treasures, great treasures of silver and gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is food that we should eat. As the Lord says, you do not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to be to understand his word because, I mean, to read his word because as we read his word, we're going to learn about God. See, establish a devotional life. Believe me, you will see yourself drawing closer to the Lord as you establish a devotional life. I remember, you know, it took me two and a half years. No, it took me about three years in my Christian walk before I began to read the word of God. Imagine that three years wasted of my life, not, not eating of the meat, not growing in the Lord the way God had wanted me to grow in Him. It wasn't until I went to Bible school, and I've shared this with many of you. I've shared this in the past where I first went to Bible school, and I, I didn't have a structured devotional life where I would read the Word of God on a daily basis. And I remember as I went to school, the first thing that the, that the, the instructor said, the first thing that the teacher said, it was my first day of school. He says, you know what, the way you guys hunger for breakfast, for bagels, you know, for donuts that you have here, for coffee, for eggs, you know, for egg McMuffins and all this stuff from McDonald's and pancakes, the way you hunger for all of that is the way you should hunger for the Word of God. And what he said there says, you know what, if you truly want to hunger after the Word of God, then let's come before God and let's pray and let's ask Him for this. And I remember as I heard that, right, I, if it was so good to me, right, because it was something that I needed to do. And I remember I said, you know what, I'm going to pray and I'm going to mean it with my heart. And I remember I said that prayer. And ever since then, you know what, my devotional life had changed. I was just reading it, right. I asked the Lord, Lord, may I hunger after your word the way I hunger after food. This is what we all prayed, right, 
And I said, you know what, Lord, I want to read your word. I want to get to know you more. I want to know who you are. I want to grow in you. And now look, you know, I become a teacher of the word of God. See, it's the same for all of us. You are not no different than I am. We're all the same. You know what? There's your children to teach. There's people that you meet to teach, right? It's, it's everywhere we're at. We are to be teachers of the word of God. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be here in the nursery or with the children. God has called us to be teachers of the word of God, to share it with our children, to share it with people that we meet on the streets, to share it with our coworkers, to share it with our family members. You have all been called to be teachers of the word of God. Never forget this. As we go, as we look at, as I've shared this with you, let's now read the last three verses here of, of chapter 21. And then I'm going to share with you really the attributes of God and I'm going to, a couple of attributes of God and also what God wants us to know that, about what he does for us. So let's read verse 43. It says, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against him. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. So we see here, the Lord gave to Israel all the land. Then verse 44, the Lord gave them rest all around. And then also at the end of verse 44, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And then in verse 45, and the Lord and everything that the Lord had spoken came to pass. You see here things that we're learning about the Lord. There's four things that he wants us to learn from this. And this is what's so awesome about this, right? Is that God, is that God through Joshua is revealing four things about himself to us, okay? And we're going to talk about these four things. The first one comes from verse 43, okay? In verse 43, we see here, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. What we have here is really a speaking of the faithfulness of God, okay? Point number one is that God is faithful. This is what Joshua wants us to take away with. This is what the Lord, the Spirit of God, wants you and I to understand. He wants you and I to understand one thing about God, okay? The first thing about God that he wants you to know is that God is faithful, okay? Never forget this, the fact that God is faithful. And I want you to know one thing about the fact that God is faithful this thing that I'm mentioning now is actually an attribute of God, okay? And when I talk about an attribute of God, I want you to know one thing. When I mention attribute, an attribute is actually a quality or a characteristic of God, okay? This is his very nature. This is who he is. And because of who he is, because of this attribute, one thing that we must understand is because God is faithful, we must worship him, okay? Every attribute that God has causes us to worship God. This is what's so amazing about this, right? Because when you begin to understand the attributes of God, it leads you into a place of worship, okay? Because God is so amazing 
God is so awesome in who he is that he's revealing to us right now that he is faithful. And because he is faithful, we worship him. I want to give you some other attributes, right? Just, just as examples. We're only going to cover two in detail today, but I want to share these other attributes so that you could get a sense of what attributes are, right? God is faithful. The other one is that God is holy, okay? God is infinite. God is impartial. God is just. God is long-suffering. God is love. God is mercy. God is gracious. God is righteous. God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. God is sovereign. God is transcendent. God is truth. God is wise. God is wrath. God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. God is omnipresent, meaning that he's present everywhere at the same time. God is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. These are all attributes of God. They point to his very nature. They point to who he is. And because of all these things that I just mentioned, one thing that it leads us to do, it makes us fall to our knees and to worship him, doesn't it? When we think about these things that I just mentioned to you, right? The fact that he's just, the fact that he's righteous, the fact that he's holy, the fact that he's long-suffering, the fact that he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, means that the only God can contain these characteristics because there's no one else like him that is perfect in these things. I want to speak to you from one scripture here because it also speaks also about the attributes of God. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, as we expound on God's faithfulness. It says here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is such an amazing scripture because it reveals so much about, about God. Not only in the fact that God is faithful, even when we're not, even when we're faithless. But the fact is, is what it reveals after that. The fact that he cannot deny himself. See, this reveals things about God for us to understand that God, this is an attribute of God, and he cannot deny himself. In other words, he has to fulfill who he is by nature. In his attribute, he has to live it out. He has to be these things because this is who he is, okay? And so he lives it out. He cannot deny himself. And this is, these are these golden nuggets that we receive as we read the word of God. See, when we look at the fact that God is faithful, even when we are faithless, this is so awesome because we're talking about this attribute, right? Because this is what Joshua revealed to us about God, right? The fact that he gave all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of the land, and they dwelt in it. In other words, what Joshua is saying is that God is faithful. See, when it comes to God, understand one thing, that God is faithful to do everything that he says. He cannot deny himself from fulfilling his word, from doing his word. Let me give you an illustration. I know that every single one of us, and we've been talking about the promises of God because Joshua reminds us of so many promises that God had given them, and so we apply it to our lives, right? God has made promises to each and every one of you, okay? I know that you all have received promises from God. God's word is filled with promises, and he speaks to you 
regarding a lot of these, right? And then he has promises outside of his word for each and every one of you, outside of here, of the Bible. And so what I want you to understand is, is that even when you, okay, think of this, even when you begin to doubt the promises of God, okay, even when you begin to struggle with the promises of God, even when you begin to be overwhelmed with the things of life and you know God has promised you stuff, even when you have lacked in faith, that God is faithful to do it, to fulfill his promise, to follow through with what he has given you. See, this is his attribute, right? When we look at the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel, remember, they doubted God, right? They walked without faith, didn't they? Remember, they didn't believe God when they were told, go into the land of Canaan, right? And go, you could spy out the land. God gave, gave them permission to do that. He says, go spy it out. And then, you know what? When you guys come back, we'll just go in there, right? Well, you know what? Twelve, two of the 12 men that went out there, the spies, two of them came back saying, hey, guess what? We can do it, Right? And the other ten stirred up the rest of the people to say, you know what? There's no way that we can conquer that land, right? Their walls are fortified. They're big. They're strong. They're thick. They're wide. They're long. And they got double walls in their cities. And they got people that are giants. They're huge. They're massive, right? And there's no way that we can conquer them. So everyone believed them except Joshua's family, Caleb, his, uh, and Moses, and Aaron, they did not believe that, right? But the people didn't believe it. And they said, there's no way that God can do it, right? Well, guess what happened? Because they didn't believe, right? God says, okay, since you don't believe, guess what? You guys aren't going in, okay? Sorry, you guys messed up, right? You messed up. You didn't believe. Because you don't believe, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow. You didn't believe it, so you're not going in. But see, he promised it to the nation of Israel, right? And they had children, so what God says, okay, you know what? Even though all of your fathers were what? Without faith, I still made a promise to you guys. And because I made a promise, and even though they were faithless, I'm faithful to complete it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow you, the second generation, to go in. Okay? I'm not going to hold your parents' sin on your account. And so what happened there is that, see, Easily, God could have said, you know what, because you guys doubt it, none of you guys are going in, right? But that's not God. God's nature, his holy nature is one of faithfulness. So when he says something, he has to do it. It's who he is. He can't deny himself. Even when we doubt, even when we're, you know, pressed in weakness and, and just, you know what, just desperate and, and, and in despair, you know what, when things are out of control, when we're saying, you know what, there's no way. God is still faithful, okay? God will still complete it, even though you doubt, even though this, these things happen. See, this is what we can rest in, God, and I want you to walk away with knowing one thing about God, that he's faithful, and this is who he is. This is his nature. And everything that he has spoken to us through his word, this is what's so awesome about God. Every word that he has given us, he's faithful to complete it faithful to complete it. We can rest in that. Okay? The second attribute that I want to talk about, we're going to jump down to verse 45. 
and says, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Okay? What this is pointing to is the fact that God is true. Okay? He's truth. He's true. What he says comes to pass. Everything that he said is true, okay? He said that, right? Not a word failed, right? There was no lies. There was nothing that didn't happen. His words were true. What he spoke was truth, and it all came to pass. Understand one thing about God is that he is truth. There's no one else like him, right? Understand one thing about God is that everything that God says is true, Okay, and we can rest in that. This is his very nature. This is who he is. Do you remember when Jesus faced Pilate? And do you remember they exchanged these words? And when they exchanged these words, it was really about, who are you, Jesus, right? It was like, who are you? You know, are you truly the king? And they exchanged these words, and these words are just an awesome dialogue between Jesus as God speaking to man, which is Pilate, which is questioning, I want to know, who are you? Let's look at this. This is in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38, as you can turn there, you can see it up here on the screen. I want you to know this is an amazing dialogue, and I love this dialogue between God and man. And Pilate really wanting to know, who are you? Let's read in verse 33. It says, then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you concerning me? So Pilate answers him and said, I am. Uh, I'm sorry. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? He's trying to ask Jesus, what did you do? And Jesus answered him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault at all, no fault in him at all. You see this Pilate within himself, you know, he's struggling and he's searching for truth, right? He wants to know, why are they delivering this man, Jesus, who claims to be the king to me? And look at the way he behaves. Look at what he does. Look at how he answers. Look at how he acts. And look at the words that come out of his mouth. I mean, they're, they're just so wise, right? They're the wisdom from God and, and the truth of God. But I love what Jesus says. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. See, Jesus himself, who was God in the flesh, called himself truth. In John 14, verse 6, right, he says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. I am the truth, the way, and the life. I am the truth. There's only truth through me. There's truth that comes from no one else but through me. I am the only way to the Father, and I am the only way that you can have eternal life. You can't have this apart 
from me. We know that Jesus also said, you know what? When it came to his word, he says, those that are my disciples, those that hear my word, they're going to hear the truth, right? And the truth is going to set them free. And we know this is from John chapter 8, verse 32. See, Joshua, in verse 45, Joshua reminds us that no word failed from the Lord. Everything that he spoke was true. And the fact that, you know what, that they can rest in the fact that all comes to pass. You and I must come to a place of finally accepting that whatever God says is truth, okay? Even though you may not understand these things, you must believe it like a child, like a little child that believes you. All of you, many of you have children, and if you don't have children, you were a child. And remember, when you were a child, you believed everything your parents said. Even though things didn't make sense, right, you believed it. And the same thing is the way Jesus wants us to believe whatever he says. Even though you don't understand it, you just rest in the fact that if you say it, Jesus, I believe it. See, and if you begin to believe him for who he is, this is his very nature. The fact that he speaks to you about the truth, the fact that he is truth, this is who he is. There's, this is his attribute, truth, the fact that he is truth. We're going to get into the next two things that God does for us, okay? And the third point that I want to give you is the fact that of what God does for us is the fact that he gives you rest. He gives rest. That's point number three. And this is here in verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers and not a man. Oh, I'm sorry. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Let's stop there. The Lord gave them rest. Okay, they rested in him. Who is resting in him? Here, Joshua is reminding us that the second generation, right, they believe the word of God. And as they believe the word of God, they rested in him. Okay, this is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to do. Many people, I think most people, right, until they finally surrender all to him where they rest in him and in his word. And this is something that we must all try to achieve, right, to come to a place of finally saying, you know what, Lord, I am going to rest in you. Because there's so many things that come at us, right, so many things that shake us. God wants us to come to a point of resting in his promises, in his faithfulness, in his truth, in him. Let me share this with you. You and I came from a place that was in complete unrest. Okay, that's where we came from before we knew Christ. Before you came to say, you know what, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Before you made that final decision, that final choice of saying, you know what, I surrender my life to you. You were a mess. Okay, let's go back to this time, right? Let's go back to the time of before Christ, our BC days, right? How many of you were restless, troubled, uneasy, right? Why were you restless, troubled, and uneasy? You were like this because of your sin, right? How many of you, do you remember how many times you used to party and drink and, and do drugs, right? And then you wake up the next day and you'd be like, what did I do? You know what? I don't remember what happened the night before. 
And then all of a sudden, things start coming back to you. You're like, oh, no. Why did I do that? How many remember those days? Yes, I think most of us should have our hands up. And you're like, oh, man. I shouldn't have done that, right? I shouldn't have done this. But I did it. See, your sin never could give you rest. You always had that sin that was lurking over you, okay? You always had the burden of whatever sins you did. They were always there. And because of this sin, you could never rest, right? How many of you, as you grew, I'm sorry, after your sins, you were always hoping to keep your sins hidden, right? And you would never share it with anybody. Were you ever at rest with that? See, you, we were a people of complete unrest, weren't we? We were troubled people. But see, it was until you came to know Jesus Christ, until you finally surrendered yourself, until you finally confessed everything and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And some of us have began to name some of the things we did before the Lord, right? And said, I confess this, I confess that, I confess all of it, right? And once you came to know Jesus Christ, you were able now to walk what? With a, a different perspective. You had this uneasiness that was gone, right? You were able to rest in him. See, you knew that according to the word of God, your sins were washed, your sins were cleansed. You were now actually saved from death. You now had eternity in your mind. In your hearts, you believed it. See, what happens to many of us is that as it happened to the Jews, right, they could never have rest. Why couldn't they have rest? Because they never believed in the word of God. Okay? When you begin to believe in the truth of God in everything that he says, you will experience true rest. Okay, and this is something that's hard, right? Because many of us are always thinking about, I don't have rest because you know what? I'm worried about this or this is happening or that's that. There, there. See, you don't have rest because you're not trusting in the word of God. You're not believing in the word of God. And God wants us to walk in rest. Look at what he says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. The only way for you to receive this rest is to believe, is to rest in Jesus, to trust in his promises, to know that he has washed you of your sins, that he has cleansed you of your sins, that he has prepared a place for you, right? That no matter what you go through, don't worry about it. We have been called to rest. You are called to be like sheep, right? That hear the voice of the shepherd and you can rest. You can rest because you hear his voice and you believe it. You know, let us come to a place of being able to rest. You know, for these, this second generation, they were able to rest. Why? Because they believed, right? And they did as the Lord asked them to do. And they rested in the promises of God. The last point, and we're going to close with this, is what he finishes there in verse 44, in the second part of verse 44. He says, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Point number four is the fact that God delivers us from our enemies. This is something that the Lord wants you to know. Okay, the Lord wanted you to know that he wants to give you rest. 
That's for you. That's not an attribute of God. God wants you to know this, that he wants to give you rest. And the second thing that he wants you to know is the fact that he delivers you from all of your enemies. This is what's so amazing about God, right, is that God is speaking to us here individually. This is what's, what's so awesome about having a personal God. See, you and I have such a personal God that he speaks to us as a body and also individually from his word. And he is saying to you and to me, he's saying, you know what? I will deliver you from your enemies. This is what I do. This is what I do to the people that I love, to those that are my children. Do you remember at the end of Paul's life, Paul gave us an amazing summary of the fact that God always delivered him from his enemies. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. He says, and these are the words of Paul, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul is reminding us as well as Joshua is reminding us the fact that the Lord delivers us from all of our enemies. Those that come against us, right? Understand this. People that come against us, know this, that it's not people that are coming against you. It's the spirit behind the people that are coming against you. And this is what Paul wants us to, what the Lord wants us to know is that, guess what? You have enemies, right? But I am greater than your enemies. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to devour you, but I'm going to preserve you, as Paul says, for my heavenly kingdom. Do you remember when Joshua, when God spoke to Joshua personally? I want you to understand this. When we talk about our enemies, right, because we're all faced with enemies, whatever they may be, we are all faced with enemies, especially as people of God. You have a bullseye on you, right? And, and the devil wants to devour you, and he's going to use situations and people to, you know what, to, ha to move you to a point of denying your faith in him. But look at the words that he personally spoke to Joshua. And I want you to understand this. These words are for you as well as for me. Have I not commanded to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is for us to take comfort in. To know that, you know what, God is with us. He lives in us. We are the temple of God, and God dwells in you, and he dwells in me, and he wants to remind us of this, that I am with you wherever you go. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear because I am with you. Do you remember when Paul talked about putting on the armor of God? You know, when he talks about putting on the armor, right, what does he say here in Ephesians chapter 6? He says, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. When we think about this, right, be strong in the Lord. He's not saying be strong in your own strength. He's not saying you can fight the devil. He's saying be strong in him and in the power of God, not your power. You have no power. You can't defeat the enemy. But it is the power of God and the power of his might that will defeat the enemy. He says, I want you to put on my armor, not your armor. You have no armor. But if you put on the armor of God by faith, you will survive and stand strong against the wiles of the devil. 
This is what he's sharing with us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he calls us conquerors. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, he, call, he calls us victors. Victory, the fact that you have victory in Christ. This victory, this conquering, this deliverance, it comes from God. And you know what this deliverance is from also? Remember we've been talking about the grim reaper that seeks you out, death that seeks you out. Death cannot, doesn't have anything against you. Death has lost its sting when it comes to the children of God. See, the wages of sin is death. But when it comes to God, and as children of a God, we have the gift of God, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. And as we think about this, right, God has delivered us from the power of death, from the grim reaper, from what Satan has desired to do in our lives. You and I are delivered from all of this. As we close, I just want to summarize these four things. God is faithful. God is true. God tells us that, that he, as it says here in verse 21, in verse 21, that he wants to give you rest and that he has delivered you from the enemy. Let's not forget these four things. As we walk away from this place, know these things. You learned about two attributes of God. You learned about his very nature. Let's believe it. Let's trust in it. Let's rest in it. And let's stand strong in it. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, I just want to thank you again, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your glorious word. Lord, I thank you for the various truths that you have given us, Lord. The things about who you are, your attributes, your very nature. Let us know that this is who you are. You cannot deny yourself. Let us remember these things. Let us also know the things that you do for us. So amazing that we can rest in you, that you deliver us. And this is because we're your children. We belong to you. Help us to rest in these things. Help us to believe in you. Help us to come to a place of knowing that you are faithful to complete all that you promised us. Even when we're faithless. Even when we lack faith. Lord, I just want to pray for everyone that's here. I just want to lift them up to you, Lord, and to have them come into a place of, of knowing you personally of desiring to know you intimately, of desiring to grow in you and in your word. I just want to lift up all those that are here. I want to lift you up in prayer. And if you agree, and if you, if you agree with this, and it has to do with, with your growth in him, if you agree with this, I just want you to pray it with me. Okay, it's about just desiring his word and to know him more. Lord, as we're here, all of us, we come to you, Lord, asking you to change our heart, to give us a hunger for you, to give us a hunger for your word, 
to give us a hunger to know you personally, intimately, to give us a passion for knowing you even more than we know you today. Lord, we just want to confess that maybe we haven't been desiring this, but now we do. We come clean before you. We lay it at your feet and we say, yes, you know what? We've fallen short. But not today. Today is a day of new beginnings. Today is a day that we want to make a a commitment to you, Lord, about reading your word, about desiring to know you greater, of desiring more of you in our lives. Holy Spirit, we know that this, this is truth that you want us to to know and to walk in. So we just give it all to you. Work supernaturally in our lives as we've made this choice. Help us to walk in it. For we know that apart from you, we can't do it. We need all of your strength within us. Help us to yield to this power. Help us to yield to this strength. And help us to stand strong in it and to walk in it. Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you. We praise you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Help us to come to a place of surrendering all. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand for this last song. Falling on my knees in worship. Falling on my knees in worship. Giving all I am to seek your faith. Lord, all I am is yours. My whole life I place. My whole life I place in your hands. God of mercy, humble I bow down in your presence at your throne. I call.
it high in our world. We lift it high in our love. 